His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the world's finest chefs and our captain as we take a trip to the centre of food to discover more about our special relationship with cooking and eating. My name's Jay Taylor. I'll be your host for this adventure along with our Fat Duck producer, James Winter. And on today's episode, grab your popcorn and overpriced nachos as we are heading to the movies, exploring our favourite food movie sequences and delving inside cooking and eating on the silver screen. So without further ado, oiled, stripped to the waist and ready to bang a gong to start the movie, let's meet Heston Blumenthal. Hello, sir. How are you? Bang the gong. <laughs> Sorry, I just had an image of myself that I'd rather not have had. Thank you. I'm very apart from that. I'm I'm very good. Thank you. How are you guys? <laughs> We're good. good. Like you said, probably with that image in our mind, slightly less why, good. Why, why, why semi naked with a gong? Well, that's the, the um, MGM, is it? Oh, no, it's uh, Lion. Of it is. Who is it? It's the, it's the Who um, it? rank. It was it rank. 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 Yeah, that's it. Rank. Yeah, the rank one. Slow motion, yeah, just like the ba 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 ba. Oh, that's that's thingy and Dean. Ba. Yeah, and that's Pearl and Dean, isn't it? Yeah, that's Pearl and Dean. And they'd always have when I obviously this was before cars were invented. When I used to go to the cinema as a kid, they'd have the same advert. So they go ba 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 ba. And then they'd have a series of template adverts. But by that, which I mean, there would be a sort of a silhouette of the Taj Mahal, but the actual, it wouldn't, you'd see the shape of the Taj Mahal because there was like, um, there's an Indian design sort of petitioning arches. Yes. And then yes. in the middle there was, it was, it was like black and white cutout of a couple sitting. And then there'd be this voice saying, saying something like, um, um, I don't know, S- um, solid hold curry house. 100 meters from this auditorium. That's right. And then there'd be I used to have I used to have Chubb Lock and Key. Used to be a little character and he'd walk along and he'd go, Here Bert, this is a place and it'd be Chubb Lock and Keys. <laughs> We'd always oh, have the yeah, the local mortgage shop. <laughs> I, I did have you just uh, sparked up a memory, something I completely forgot about. Kiora. Oh, and I was going to say, it's got to be a Kiora, but... In the, re, the, the, those square tubs, and the, the hole you put the straw through made a squeaky noise when you put it through. And then when they did that long Kiora advert, I remember uh, that was one of the first adverts I remember watching, going, wow, the full-length version. Remember, it was, I'll be your dog. I'll be your dog. And it's these crows walking along with it. I can't remember the whole bit. Yeah, it was right. it was they were like a... playing instruments, weren't they? Like a piano there was. And there's yeah. all sorts just yeah, moving across the screen. And you had <laughs> B-movies. And Bungo. You had little short B-movies for certain films. And cartoons. And then, Do you remember cartoons? You yeah, cartoons, cartoons before it started. Well, I used to, I, cartoons, I used to go to Saturday morning cinema in, not, in um, Labbrook Grove. And that in that those days, it was um, Abbott and Costello. There'd be um, there would always oh <laughs> the black and white. Um, oh, what's that? What's that? Uh, what was that? Sci-fi, Re- black and white, really bad. And there was Ming oh, Flash, the Destroyer, Flash Gordon, Flash, Flash, Flash Gordon. Gordon, Flash Gordon, Ming the Merciless. Ming the Merciless, and you could see the spaceships going by with the string. You could still see the string. Yes. And then they'd walk into the spaceship. You're not that old. You're not that old. 
Yeah. Uh, Edward they'd walk and they'd shut the door of the spaceship and you could hear the, 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 the kind of <laughs> plywood kind of rattling and echoing inside the spaceship. <laughs> uh, flashing Who was the, I'm trying to remember the actor. He had a really good name, I think. Oh, he was really famous as well, wasn't he? He did lots of big movies in the, in the uh, almost in the thirties and forties, wasn't he? Buster Crab. Buster Crab. That that's that sounds like a porno actor. That does. Yeah, he looked like a porno actor. <laughs> I think the experience in the movies when you're a kid is so indelibly marked. I remember going to watch Jurassic Park when it first came out, and that was my first yeah. full experience with CGI. And remember being completely bewitched and terrified at the same time. And then I sat my kids down and watched the other day, and I was like, "Brace yourselves, this is going to be quite hardcore." They were so unimpressed. They were just like, is that really? it? Is that what you're going on about? It's rubbish. Mine was Raiders of the Lost Ark. When I saw that, I saw that three times in a week. When that first oh, came out, nice. in that opening sequence, with a big ball rolling down. And I oh, just yeah. Hell yeah. Sitting there, absolutely gobsmacked by it. Um, I'm just wondering how they'd have got on with Journey to the Centre of the Earth with Doug McClure, Jay. Those movies. Oh, it's always a triceratops ah, with the fight a T Rex. Yeah. My old, <laughs> my old friend, uh, very old friend's dad was, I think, was in that. Peter Gilmore, I think, was in Journey to the Centre of the Earth. It, it had like a pointy uh, rocket that, 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 that basically burrowed oh, the, the Earth. Yeah. It yeah, in, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and uh, was, it Sim, was it the old Sinbad? They were uh, great. Yeah, they're really good still wow. with all the snakes on her head and stuff all made you, by sir? a wonderful man named ray harryhausen he used to make all those models and Stop he used motion. to animate them uh, he used to animate them and then and it was the first time that sort of animated models and real life actors came together out sort of before that it was king kong in the in the 30s and it was just extraordinary. Was sinbad and the eye of a tiger sinbad and the seventh voyage Jason and the Argonauts Ooh. with the Iron Man Valley. or Bronze. Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, and the skeletons. Yeah. The skeletons, the skeletons were good, that. weren't they? And Valley of the Guanji. That was another one, which had a very tiny <laughs> horse in it, if that. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason we are just just basically just sitting here chatting about movies is this, this we thought, we were chatting away at Pod HQ, and we thought what would be really fun to do is just explore food in the movies. And not necessarily, this doesn't have to be movies about food this just can be uh sequences or moments in movies with food in it that have inspired us or or, or pushed us in certain directions emotionally or mentally and hopefully spark some thoughts with you all out there as well um but i know heston you've been beavering away making making quite a list of these which is great uh and in no particular order we're sort of going to stumble our way uh through it and see what we can come up with out of movies and food together so uh i don't know what order you've put them in here heston but there is no order. why don't we just go uh, the, in- the, the order james and i had a chat about this yesterday it's the order of our conversation which just like light seems to go in all directions uh and no direction <laughs> let me start with the one that i think is the most accurate um film about the world of Michelin star and in particular three Michelin star restaurants and the sh- when the chef's name also becomes a brand and the complications that that sets up. Uh, and in fact, it's a cartoon. It's Ratatouille. It's my, I would say my, f- oh, I've some favorites. So that's probably my, f- my, my favorite of all of them because it's not accurate. And obviously in the sense that the rats are in the kitchen. 
But the, what happens in the kitchen, the stru kitchen structure, the hierarchical system, the stress, the pressure, and, and in the film, I'm, most of you guys um, probably have seen it, but if not, it basically follows, um, there was a big fat French chef called Gustave, or Gustavo, it had three stars. I don't exactly say mission size, but three stars, and he died. And uh, he had left, he had his name on supermarket products and all sorts of things. And then the, there's a, the, the, the sous chef basically takes over and wants to milk Gustav's name. So just forget about the quality. So all his legacy was, you know, was thrown into chaos. The restaurant was going downhill. There was no direction because the sous chef was so obsessed about really trying to get fame and fortune as opposed to his connection with the food. And so the young, the young chef, this young chef comes along and, 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 and someone starts to try and get work in the kitchen. Uh, and one morning his flat meets this rat that talks. And, 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 and you follow the rat's journey. This rat <laughs> fo loves food and cooking. As you do. So he teaches him how to do some basic cooking things that he can't cook to save his life. So he gets to this bit where he, the rat's actually in his, in the, on his head under his hat, pulling his hair to move one arm and move the other. And, um, and, and the restaurant started to get these amazing <laughs> reviews. But meanwhile, um, the, 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 the sous chef is feeling challenged and then he discovers that the, 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 this young kid that can't actually cook without the rat's advice and, and, and you know, physically moving his body parts by pulling his hair. Um, his, uh, Gustav's, now, he's, he's his relative. I can't remember if his son or nephew, actually. I probably should clarify that. I, th I think he turns out to be son. his son. He his discovers son. that it's his, his dad. So it throws into chaos all of the sous chef's plans. <clears throat> and obviously, he's got a love life. Uh, now he's, a, he's a more senior chef. All of the, the intensity, the attention to detail, the technical elements of the things that they add in the food are very accurate and and my mate thomas keller who has the french laundry in the states was was the main consultant for the show and in fact the ratatouille that they make at the end that the food critic eats is thomas's ratatouille does it look like that because that looks fabulous that ratatouille at the end with all the layers oh, it looks it's exactly it's it, it's exactly the goodness same. goodness me it's his ratatouille uh, and then the food critic was meant to be, I mean, there was, there was uh, some belief in the UK that could be a good one in the, the late great, amazing A.A. Gill, yeah. um, um, or the most feared food critic in the history of France, or recent history of France, which is Francois Simon from the Figaro. And this food critic is, is anorexically thin and he's so, he's just lost interest in he's he's a and what do you call it when oh my god you could cut this out or not but still a memory loss when some oh cynical he's so cynical about everything and and he hears about and he gives it i think the restaurant was a terrible review anyway he comes back and has this ratatouille moment i call it a ratatouille moment which is the same as the the proustian madeleine moment <laughs> all his cynicism just disappears when he puts a spoonful or forkful of this ratatouille in his mouth and there's a sort of back to the future sort of time travel tunnel that sucks him back to his childhood sitting at the chair swinging his legs under the under the chair with his mum's cooking and he, I think he cries and uh, and then eventually discovers oh actually I won't say anymore but that that 
the content, I've said enough, the content of it, um, they try and get the health inspectors in. There are so many elements to this film that this is where animation can be wonderful. That are in terms of human connectivity in the kitchen, the pressures of uh, being critiqued on a daily basis, um, chefs maybe chasing fame and fortune above the love for food and cooking. And then the power of food that being able to transport you to some wonderful moment in your childhood. So it, it has it all. For me, Ratatouille is, is, is my, I'd say, my favourite food movie. Um, that's, that's number one. So I've, I'll get that one out of the way. I'll do two more, then, then, you, uh, then, then I'll come back. Okay. To okay, cool. Less about more films. There's obviously Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Of course. Willy Wonka. Yeah, absolutely. Because... That has inspired many things that you, I mean, that you and I have done together yeah. for past filming, from lickable wallpaper um, to um, everlasting gobstoppers. Uh, we've also used Roald Dahl stuff for revolting recipes. I did it for the Alder Hay Hospital to get kids. I bet you can't eat this. So you say, this is really just worm pizza. <laughs> oh, they really want to try it. It's like reverse psychology and they loved it. It's the way um, food went beyond just the practical slime. as well. It was where, like, in the book, it's hair toffee for people's hair. And he's hairy growing. You eat a toffee. And in the fizzy lifting drink, which yeah, I yes. loved where you have to burp to come down, was just mm. appeals on so many levels as a kid inside. It, yes. That's the joy of that I, film again, in the book. It reawakens the kid that, that when food was magical. Yeah, we've done so much of that in Feast. And you remember the, 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 the furlong gas? It wasn't technically called furlong gas. It's named after Patrick, yeah. it, who, the researcher who discovered it, which is something, something hexanol yeah. or hexachloride. It's the opposite of helium. So it's really heavy. That's it. I remember going on Jonathan Ross taking two, two canisters. He did nearly all of them himself. <laughs> He did the first one. Oh, daddy loves it. <laughs> it was so hilarious. What they edited out of that show, after me, Will Young was on with um, um, a, a great band who's got a farm now in the UK, fantastic band, called Groove Armada. Oh, the yeah. song was called History. So Jonathan had some left. He ran onto the stage <laughs> and gave Will Young, who's got one of the highest pitched voices in singing, <laughs> He started the song singing. That's amazed. That'd have been great. You can imagine. That'd have been great. But they, edit, they edited it out. Oh. <laughs> so, so, they, so the, the, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, we've done. There's, and in fact, I took my daughter to see the stage show, and they. It was a real. It was a real surprise and honour. There were two things in the stage show that, that 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 weren't in the story, but they were my dishes. So, flaming flaming sorbet and hot and ice, hot and cold tea. Oh wow! Made it as a new Willy Wonka dish. So there's, there's Charlie, all the things around Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Roald Dahl. Um, um, oh, and we did the chocolate waterfall. Yeah. When they open that door up to the, to the chocolate garden, well, the garden where everything is edible is sort of the ultimate dream of a child, yeah. isn't it? Where, where you can go in somewhere and you can eat anything. And also the gleeful abandon with which the kids then set about destroying it and going excessive on it sort of speak spoke brilliantly to all of that side of you as well as a kid, which is you want to stuff it all in your... Like Augustus Gloop. I just, all yeah. the characters are brilliant, but it's all the people you knew growing up. The girl that chewed gum the entire time. The big, the big fat kid who wouldn't stop eating chocolate. Yeah. Brilliant. I, just, yeah. I love it. The protagonists <clears throat> who you enjoyed it through were great. Yeah, exactly. But there was a way that the food was... 
Well, I just uh, just from my memory, the, the, the way that the, the the idea of of being allowed into a chocolate factory was matched by the visual element in that movie with with Gene Wilder opening the doors. That scene where he finally lets the kids in, you know, to to run around. But it's it, it yeah. was magical, and it is. It's all about imagination, isn't it? What you imagine is going to be like is matched by what what happens and more inside that chocolate factory. Is, yeah. is incredible. Do you know? I remember one night the duck. Years years ago, um, everyone had gone. One table left. Somebody, uh, my, my my restaurant manager, came upstairs and said, "This table nine would like to say, just have a word." So I came downstairs, and, it, and there were six people. And this very elegant lady stood up, and she shook my hand and gave me a kiss, and she said, "If only my late husband were alive to see it today, the real Willy Wonka." And it was Lissy Dahl, Roald Dahl's. Oh. Roald Dahl's Good day. Um, widow. I was like, oh my God. And then we, I, we became friends and I remember going around to her house for dinner, seeing the garden with the peach tree that James and the Giant Peach was, was uh, written about. It, Roald Dahl had a little hut that he wrote in. So um, I went to sell that. I'm sitting down with a glass of champagne. There was about six of us. And Lissy just took this glass of champagne out of my hand. I looked at her and she had this sort of really warm loving smile on her face and she handed me a brown folder i open the folder and it's the pencil written manuscript of charlie and the chocolate Factory. my word in my hands that's right because he wrote and everything in moment, pencil didn't he in hb pencils he wrote them all yeah. and, he, and he and he drew it was a lot darker than the than the actual finished book in terms of its content but he, he did the sketches of the people so there's that one. Then the other one, obviously, is Alice in Wonderland, which is which from from the from the edible playing cards, the Queen of Hearts, you know, jam tarts, through to the mock turtle soup, uh, and then the drink that we did, where she's tasted of sort of toast and turkey, and there's like seven things in this pink. That drink was a bloody nightmare. Do you remember trying all. to make that? That was because it had to change, didn't it? it had to yeah. change from like savoury dishes to sweet dishes to. It, it was turkey, roast turkey, toasted bread, and there might have been pineapple, the custard. Custard. I remember custard. And then we had to, we had to even the diameter of the straw, because we were trying to regulate that each mouthful, you didn't have a mixture of the two. That well, you had a, to make these special, do you remember a, you made these special test tubes with straws at the bottom? Because you had to drink it from the bottom yeah, with this, with, first, yeah, otherwise it wouldn't yeah, work. Yes, from the bottom up. And, um, and so, again... Yeah, the, the influence for me of those two stories, Alice in Wonderland, directly in my cooking. We've got, we've got the, um, in the V&A, there's an Alice in Wonderland um, exhibition, the biggest one I think they've ever put on, and it might go on tour. And we have an exhibit in a, in a, in a Perspex glass box in the museum. Uh, I think that it's, I can't wait to see it. The, the, it's, the exhibition is meant to be amazing. They've got Salvador Dali, because <clears throat> he, he did, Alice in Wonderland we did a, a book about Alice in Wonderland actually but the mock turtle soup is in a glass box with a little um, wooden box lid opens there's a fob watch in there the, there's a um, Dave McKean's done this amazing book of illustrations <laughs> so and it's got a little light that shines on it so we've got an ex exhibit in the Alice in Wonderland um, museum but also it's just fun isn't it how you believe in something so much magical things can happen they really can when you really believe. And there was, um, I can't remember how it came up in the conversation, but Polly, Polly Russell, who we're gonna have on the show, she's 
wonderful, wonderful woman, brilliant, amazing, was head of the social history at the British Library. So she invited me. You were with me, Jay. You filmed it. Oh, was that the time we went to look you at the? We went it. to look at an original book or something, didn't we? Oh, I didn't know that was then. Not Anne. Not Anne. Not Anne original. It was the original. It, it was kept in a safe. It's so precious, so valuable. Do you I need to pay more attention to what I'm filming. Like, yeah, I, think, I, yes, I keep the bloody thing in focus. On my lap. It was the book that 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 um, Lewis Carroll wrote while he was apparently on a boat trip with young Alice. He wrote it. He wrote the story for her, and it's his. He, it's the written book, and he did the illustrations. And the the tea party isn't in the in this original. It's it's like a little notebook, and he wrote the story. Beautiful, not one mistake in the writing. The handwriting is beautiful. The illustrations are actually beautiful, but they're not the the Tennille one when they got published. This is before publication. It's the one book he wrote for Alice, and they gave me white silk gloves, uh, and I said. Can I touch a page? Don't I drop think it. I turned one page, <laughs> and I've got the I've got Alice in Wonderland. So I've had I've had Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland, the, the actual handwritten books. Uh, it was amazing. And the the end of the book, he draws a picture of Alice. Do you remember this? No. And his illustrations drawing the characters are amazing, but he was he wasn't good at drawing faces. And the book is. There's not, a, there's not one drop of Tipex, one crossing <laughs> out. And then right at the end, he draws this picture of Alice and he's like, Oh, <laughs> And he, hate, he hates it. So he, he puts a flap of paper over the top of it. My goodness. Anyway, Your memory yeah, is great for these things. Three for starters. There's, there's some other ones I'd love to come on to. But what, what, about, what about you? Uh, well, let's James. What about yeah, you? Yeah, come on, James. What have you got? Um, well, I'm a bit of a romantic with food, I guess. And, I, I, you know, I've been sort of thought about it and and you know there's a there's a film called Babette's Feast which I know Heston knows and I, I don't know if you know Jay but is one of the kind of always held up as one of the the great iconic food films of all time and it's I've never seen that oh it's it's um oh God, when was it made 60s I think maybe even earlier I'm gonna quickly look see when it oh no God it's no it's later it's the 80s 80s yeah it's 80s 87 but it's because it's set in in sort of 1870 and it tells the story of two refugee sisters that end up in this Village. They've run away from Paris, which has been torn apart by the Franco-Prussian War. Is it Finland? Yeah, or... that's, that's what I was just going to check. I think they end up in a Danish or or. or, or yeah, where is it? I think it's I think it's, it's, it's Denmark. Making... Actually, I'm just googling here. They end up in oh, a small Denmark. village on a room, but in Jutland, which I, I don't know Danish um, geography, but I think it's yeah. quite remote. And so they end up working as this kind of servant. Um, uh, role for for some people to look after them, and and as a way of of saying thank you. At one point in the film, she wins a lottery ticket and she wins lots of money. So she decides to to show her appreciation for these people that have looked after her during this time by by cooking a feast, and it becomes the journey of this feast. And and she goes off. I just can so remember that she goes off to Paris and to get the ingredients because she can't get them in Denmark because she wants to do this feast as she wants it, a real French feast. And she comes back on this rowing boat with ingredients like little, I don't know what the birds yeah, would be called, little tiny birds and turtles. There's a turtle. Yeah, she brings turtles back. She makes turtles. turtles there's a turtle. And, and doesn't she fall in love with a captain? Oh, she, she might, tries to she cook. Might there's something do. about a captain. She might do. And but she what? cooks this dinner for the captain. That's right. And well, what? Uh, yes. Yeah, so without giving it too much away, because I don't know whether people are going to want to watch these films. But there's a little reveal at the end where her past with food is a, is is not quite as as um, 
peasanty, let's put it as, as, as maybe, you know, you're led to believe from the beginning of a story. And she turns out to be this incredibly wonderful chef. And, to, and the last sort of yeah. 20 minutes is this feast of just the most extraordinarily complex um, sort of 1870 French dishes that are served in this little hut in Jutland to this, to this, I think it's an, are you right? I think it's an aging colonel or something who's, who starts to, like, like in Ratatouille, starts to get nostalgic about meals he had in Paris and remembering things that he tried and they're just as he remembered them and the pastry she's making all this. Oh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a hugely sort of visual feast to match the, the gastronomic feast that she prepares. It's, it's a really wonderful film. That's lovely. What was that called again? Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast. Yeah. Okay, so I went a slightly different route with mine. So I, the way I envisit, the way I thought, I've got a few, but the way I thought about it was scenes that really lodged with me when it came to eating, and you could almost feel like you were in the moment and eating with them. And the one that, yeah. of all of those ones, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the sequence in that, when they have the d- dining sequence with the monkey brains, it is... Which is fabulous. I forgot. Yeah. Do you know what? I forgot when I said, in the, uh, I, for, I forgot about it. And do you know that story that that, that is uh, apparently didn't happen? Um, Paul Levy used to be a, um, um, he's a great write, food writer. One of the great food writers that wrote, he wrote um, Out to Lunch. And he was a food writer for, um, I think, The Times. Actually, it was Paul Levy. The first, uh, his review, I've just remembered, it's his review of Harold McGee's book that I read, which made me buy Harold McGee's book. Huh. And Paul, um, he, in Out to Lunch, he took, takes the whole thing about the idea that they used to put monkeys' heads above the table, chop the heads off and eat the brains. So he went to China and other countries and spoke to food historians, and they basically all said... It's a load of nonsense. Oh. Yeah, because we once cooked sheep's brains, didn't you? Deep fried sheep's brains for us once. Yeah, brain, I mean, brains can be really delicate and lovely, but I remember one of the first times, it might have been the trip when I went to the Beaumanier in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a brasserie or something. I didn't know what the words were. I just saw orange, or like oranges, as orange salad. Yeah. But maybe I was, in the, I was still in fish finger baked bean mode as a kid, so I ordered... <laughs> Seville, Seville à l'orange. Well, I didn't know Seville was brains. I suppose they could look a little bit like a kind of poached so orange. So my first taste they? of brains was actually thinking I was getting oranges. <laughs> so, so, but they, so that's a, that is a great scene. That's a great... Well, they've also got in that, they had, uh, they had coiled Wrigley's in that. So they basically, if you remember, they basically had a, a snake, a big uh, boa constrictor, yeah. which they cut open and live eels come out of it. Um, and I was looking up, apparently people do eat snakes, uh, I think we've tried it once before. It tastes rubbish because it's all sort of muscly, isn't it? But they we had, had that. We had, yeah, we had, fr- we tested it. Yeah, they Tastes did like uh, what's called cr- crispy Cleopatra. Cleopatra. So what they did, you remember the the beetles? So they eat. They have massive stag beetles and they bite on them, and all this juice sort of runs yeah. out all over them. And now you can't eat stag beetles, but you can you can um, the long horned rhinoceros variety. You can. We've eaten loads of insects, but I don't think we ever tried beetles, did we? No, we didn't. Although cochineal red food coloring is from beetles is it really that's the best yeah that's where cochineal coloring comes from and then they and then they make it synthetically but but original cochineal is a cochineal beetle and it goes into when they made uh, things like um things like vermouth when you put in the groanies for that color comes from a beetle originally there you go 
Well, they also had the they they had this soup of the head, which was basically remember the soup bowl and then the eyeballs start bubbling up in it. And again, yeah. weirdly, we've eaten eyeballs many times, and also you've cooked things with sheep's heads where you, you boil the sheep's head in it. So, yeah. strangely, this banquet isn't actually so exotic it's, anymore. N- n- no, and we've made like we made things come out of other things, haven't we? yes we, uh, yeah we should do the monkey's head one time though because i think if you brought that out and the idea when they just monkey's brains and they take the thing off and you oh a moment is food in a movie that's brilliant yeah, yeah. so yeah that's probably my in terms of a movie food sequence that's definitely one of my top ones on the top of my list i thought when you started it was going to be um raiders of lost art monkey date eating sequence oh that's what i thought bad dates yeah, with the bad bad, bad dates, dates in you. <laughs> <laughs> what else is on your list heston well, okay, so I'm trying to, I'm trying, there's quite a few, but I'll try and race through sort of moments. There's, there is Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which is another Pixar film. Oh, yeah. But that's really interesting because it follows this kid. I think it was based on a book that was voted, has been voted to some of the top 100 kids' cookbooks of all time. Kids' cookbooks, kids' yep. books. But the, the, the Pixar version is in a, a town called Chew and Swallow. <laughs> and there's a kid at school that just, <laughs> he invents. So he doesn't, he's, it's like he's got ADHD or something. He doesn't fit into the education system because he can't stop inventing. So they say he's a bit of a problem child. He invents all these things. He ends up inventing a computer that can make any food from water, which is exactly what we're, funny enough, what we are working on, the, the fact that water is in our bodies and all the food that we eat and, you put vibrational energy to it and, you know, things grow out of it. But this computer then, they had this funny weather system where all the food, all the restaurant outlets, everything, all the quality went down and, and, the, and it was linked to the weather systems, obviously, which is very much water dominated. And um, this computer ends up raining meatballs and, rain, and, and it can rain, it can rain any, all sorts of foods. And at the end of it, Basically, I think it just rain. It goes crazy. So, all your ter- all the favourite terrible fast food for you. Let's, let's say <laughs> the things that you should eat, in, maybe maybe with a, in limitation. So it, it becomes a massive tourist attraction. So you go to Chew and Swallow. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs and this is a spaghetti tornado and stuff like that. So that's that's an interest. That, that that's an interesting one. There's also it's a delicious film. I remember. I haven't seen it for a while, but um, I'm, um, I'm very good friends with Stanley Tucci, the actor here, who, who is brilliant. Flipping hilarious. He's obsessed with cooking. I think he prefers cooking to acting. And he's just, he's just done a series on Netflix that's coming out, him, because he, he's half Italian. He goes around Italy and he's, his, book, his new book comes out, it's his life through food. So he tells a story of his childhood woven through the recipes and he did a film called big night where there were two brothers that ran a italian restaurant in new york and there's a great scene where they're the the most powerful food critic comes to the restaurant that but that's that's a film where it's also you know there's certain movies that you watch and you want to eat a rag is it an omelet is it an omelet the thing he makes it remember they do it real time almost don't they and it's a big it's the big scene where he goes into the kitchen and just cooks an omelet for his brother yes yes there's an omelet it's just one of those films you watch and you want to eat. I think one, the, one that, the one that I remember made me desperate to eat what the content of the film was the most. There's a Japanese film called Tampopo. Oh, what's that? And 
it's it was called um oh, look this up it was called the ramen western <laughs> so the spaghetti spaghetti western is a ramen western and Tampopo is a, a noodle shop that went downhill and then they tried to, to to they tried to sort of put it back on the map it was a bit of a karate kid sort of mentor coming in to try and sort it out but it was very clever because it followed five six seven characters there was a gangster in a white suit that, that love putting eating food off women's bodies, uh, na- naked bodies, or his girlfriends. There was a woman; she had to squeeze all of her food before she ate it. There was, <laughs> and, and what would happen is one character would walk walk down the street, and another person would walk past in the other direction, and the camera would switch to the other person. So there's one scene: one of the characters walking down. This young man in a suit walks past. The camera switches to him. He goes into a bank. And he's sitting at a lunch table in the bank and he's like, I don't know, 25. And all the other Japanese board directors are probably 60 something. And they're ordering, they're ordering. And they're ordering very politely, very, they're ordering very simple. And he just picks like a Chateau, I can't remember the wine, it's Chateau Petrus 1970. And they're looking at him in, 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 in sort of disbelief. And the, and the gangster gets shot, the white, the white dressed gangster, he gets shot in the street he's lying down with his girlfriend and he's, he's, he's there's blood everywhere and he's saying imagine my my darling when a wild boar i can't remember the fruit they eat the chestnuts they the yams the wild boar eat the yams and we will roast this wild boar and then cut its belly open and eat the yam inside the, the boar as he's dying <laughs> but that film i can remember i saw it years ago i was so desperate for noodles i remember oh, yeah. this is this is when i was living at home I went into the to, into the into the kitchen. All I could find was a Charwoods, you know, the Charwoods ah, dried yeah. noodles. I just I, I just stuck them in the microwave and put butter with them. That's <laughs> all I had. So that that, that um, that's it. That's that's a great film. Um, there was also uh, a film I saw on a plane called Common Chef, or or The Chef with Jean Reno. Right. And it was made ten years ago, roughly. And it was, um, I watched it on the plane and, um, and it was about a chef, Jean Reno in Paris, had three stars and the owner wanted to modernize the restaurant. The chef didn't want to, so he wanted it to lose its third star so he could break the contract and get rid of Jean Reno and then put this young upstart in who, I'm looking at this, they have a Spanish chef coming on, he, 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 the, 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 there's a, there's a, a very talented chef that gets kicked out of all the restaurants because he changes everything because he's so he's so pernickety and he ends up being a painter decorator yeah uh anyway jean reno takes him on as his his sort of hidden hidden advisor accomplice and he recommends there's a a spanish guy which is definitely based on ferran who comes in bald with long hair and makes these you know duck vaporized duck and ends up blowing the kitchen up so it was definitely ferran and I'm watching this, and the young upstart is does it was sort of multi-sensory, and it's all about the resistance to what they call molecular gastronomy. I'm looking at it; he's got red hair. He's on a treadmill before service, and he does multi-sensory food. <laughs> anyway, it turned out that uh, that that was myself and Ferran were these sort of oh my god, um, oh, that's a weird experience, off the wall, yeah, weird. And it was Ducasse and Pierre Gagnier that did the did the. Um, did the consultancy for it. So that, that was, that was interesting. I don't know in, in, in terms of a film itself, it's a very easy watching. I wouldn't, it didn't, I don't think it would have won any awards. What's that Bradley Walsh film? What's the Bradley Walsh film where he's, is it? No, Bradley Walsh. Do I mean Bradley Walsh? What's the fella out of the hangover? 
Yeah. Bradley Cooper, sorry, not Bradley Walsh. Yeah, Bradley, Bradley, <laughs> Bradley, yeah. Bradley Walsh, honestly. Uh, Bradley Cooper film, where he's a, oh, like a Michelin star chef. What's it called? Burnt. Burnt. Yeah. Burnt. Burnt. They're Marcus, Marcus, um, Marcus Wary and Gordon were producers on that. They came, the crew came out and saw me in Braid. It felt very real, the cooking in that. It felt like a kitchen that I'd been in. Yeah, they, they came out with consult for consulting, for looking, doing, doing uh, the being a producer on the show but actually it was too far removed from where my focus was so i'm not saying i i they marcus and gordon got this because i turned it down no but i didn't there was a connection what did sat sat say once a brilliant comment he went to new york for some big congress and i spoke to him he went, oh, I think he had a heavy night with some other chefs. And he, I said, how's it going? He said, what, what goes on in New York stays in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, then there was a film I saw as a kid, and I only came up when I was talking to James about this. Yes, a couple of days ago. George Siegel, uh, my mum took me to the cinema to see it, and I think it was too many cooks or too many chefs or who's killing the great chefs of France and it was a serial killer oh, wow who was killing chefs you want to see this as a kid by, with their own spades yeah oh, but it, oh yes it was it, it was uh, it was ki- killing the serial killer was killing chefs in the order of a menu <laughs> using their own special techniques so the baker the sp- had his special Oh, that's great. This Bread sounds great, Phil. When he mentioned it's it. Brilliant. Put in the oven. When you flip, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do a tasting menu of all your greatest yeah. rivals. <laughs> yeah, the, the lobster chef was boiled in his own pot. The, um, the, you can imagine that the canard à la presse, the, du- the pressed oh, duck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. was going to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, I remember it ended with a demo with a big famous pastry chef. And it was making an ice cream bomb, B-O-M-B-E. But obviously had a bomb inside the bomb lovely oh. and so james yesterday said said ah oh, what would you i would be thrown into a vat of liquid nitrogen yes that's it <laughs> he's given the option yeah. <laughs> i love those conversations lava or liquid yeah. nitrogen which would you prefer do you, me- do you remember the movie one of the movies mm. i love was hook do you remember it was robin williams and dustin hoffman and it was a peter pan story but yeah. slightly told differently he was yeah. like an older yeah. peter pan who'd forgotten lost his way but the best scene for me is when they were the lost boys and they're at the dining table and it chimes very tightly for my love, you know, sort of my passion over imagination things. But the the Lost Boys, if you can imagine it, you can eat anything you want and it'll appear for real on the table and you can eat it. But Robbie Williams has grown up, so he's lost that ability to imagine wonderful things. So he's, until he gets his childhood imagination back, he's starving hungry. And then eventually he gets his imagination back. Suddenly any food he can think of appears and this, this dining table is just absolutely covered and, and as a kid and as an adult, that is the most ultimate experience because you can have, you know, mashed potatoes with custard and chocolate spread. And it just it's just joyous because it's all driven yeah. by the power of imagination, which I think is a really a brilliant food scene. I've always enjoyed that. And they have a massive food fight as well, which is kind of what everyone wants to do as well. <laughs> you, you can't love anything without imagination and memory. So loving something is so important. We need love and we want to give love. It's, it's considered to be, you know, just a, there's nothing negative about it, really, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you give love. Um, but you can't give love without having imagination first. And you can't love something without imagination and memory. So it just reminded me, I've, I've referred to you quite often, Jay, and I've said it to your face. 
there's something where you, you eat it could be sea urchins um oh yeah that just that face you just pulled there's that moment in big with tom hanks remember he's <laughs> when he's at the buffet and i don't know if he put something in his mouth that's right and that face that's right that's a jt that's a jt <laughs> face i've that, seen that, that enough times <laughs> he just opens his mouth yeah, and yeah, falls yeah, back yeah, out. Exactly. Oh, scrapes his tongue off <laughs> so caviar it's, it's, it's caviar isn't it it's caviar it's a little bit of caviar on a bleeding or something else <laughs> It could be sea urchins. Yes, that's a lovely moment. So, Heston, to finish up, give us a couple more movies uh, before we run out of okay, time. Very, I mean, we went through, look, there, I mean, there's, you know, there's. W- I think we should do another one on cartoons because there's all the Bugs Bunny, Tasmanian Devil, how we get lures them into food that way. There's Scooby Doo and Scooby Snacks and the biggest sandwich in the world yeah evil um, witches right. and red apples uh yes at evil evil witches and red apples you and i says and i talk a lot about asterix oh my god yes, asterix how much did you want a roast uh, boar? i used to uh, wild boar roast oh wild boar god. how much did i want a leg of roast wild boar in there and a cow asterix. pie from desperate and dan then, as well imagine a desperate dan cow pie oh my god that, there's yeah. another one and there was chocolate uh, light water for chocolate which was this uh south american film about a woman that that it's a love story, and uh, won't go into the details. But basically, it goes it goes very sort of very imaginative. Um, but she cries into the food, and in fact, the shape of our tears because it's struck it's the, it, emotions. When when we cry, we never cry for exactly the same reason. You can cry for all sorts of different reasons, but that water that comes out has a slightly different structure depending on this, the the emotion inside your body because of its vibrational energy. So she cries, uh, once she cries into her food, and then, is it a wedding? James, can you remember this? Is it a wedding? That- I think it's a wedding, yes. She's making something for the wedding, and she's really upset, isn't she? She's, she's ang- either angry or sad or something yeah. while she's making this food. I think she, yeah, I think she makes... And the impact it has on the, on the wedding guests. Wow. Is, is- what do they, do they all go, they either all start vomiting, there's another one where they start, they all fall in love with each other. Well, they all, yes, Through they her all- tears. Yes, it's great. So her her emotions are transferred through her tears or into the, yeah, into into the, the food. food that she's making. And the people that eat it then experience that same emotion. I mean, everyone out there listening, please do send in your, your thoughts on these as well, because I'm sure there's loads we've been missing throughout this. Um, Hestonspodcast.gmail.com and at Heston's Podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear all your experience of it. Uh, what other, any other couple of ones to finish on, Heston? James, I love... I love I, Anyone's well, I've got I've got something. If, if people are, um, are, are Netflix users, there's a there's a wonderful series on Netflix called Tokyo Diner, which is you have to search for it. It never pops up in the most popular in the UK. Certainly never comes up on the feeds after my children have been watching Netflix. <laughs> um, and it's this incredible series about a very tiny diner in a back street in Tokyo where it opens at midnight, closes at seven. And it's about this chef that they never give him a name. He's just called the master. And and characters sometimes come in two or three times over the series. But you know, but characters will come in and he will make them a dish, you know, and he will cook for them. And they don't. There's no real menu. He just cooks them something. And then the stories that evolve for that small episode, they're only half an hour long, will be 
about that character but somehow ties them back into the experience they had in the diner and each one wow. each episode is, is focused around a different dish and a different always an extraordinary there's like a yakuza there's a there's a there's a drunken policeman who's who's doing something terrible there's a, there's a kind of comic actor who's trying to his career's on the burn you know or something all these characters it's midnight so the strangest sort of most unusual people oh, brilliant precinct for something diner. like that isn't that great you just know the story yeah just... and and it's and there's about four or five series of it so if you really indulge in it but it's just a really lovely little vignette of sounds uh, like those spitterfield food markets of... like the cafe i've never i think you've been there hasn't you the spitterfield fish market cafe which which notoriously opens obviously through the night and then yeah. shuts early morning because it's <clears> on oh, the fish market. I show. did, um, yeah. That, mm. Yes, I remember filming there one morning and see them making drinking whiskey at like eight o'clock in the morning because that's it, they finished their shift. But they would have also scrambled egg, and that's the first time I'd seen them use the coffee cappuccino machine. So the milk frother, they put eggs in the in the in the uh, in the cup. <laughs> And the steam would just create this block of scrambled egg, and they just <laughs> like a sandcastle, dump it on the plate. Dump it down. It. So I, That's I remember crazy. that. Oh, there's one. There's one. Oh, I'd, who's going to be trying that? <laughs> there, is, there is one I'd like to finish with, um, which is a documentary called um, that many people may well have seen called Giro Taste of Sushi. And yeah. it, and basically, Giro was the very was the first three Michelin starred sushi restaurant on the planet. Now. He's been going, he'd been going at the time for 50 plus years, but it's just the Michelin guide hadn't gone to Tokyo. He said, uh, he said it's a French guide. He said, French guide? He said, I don't, I don't want foreigners in my restaurant. And he said, no, no, they're Japanese inspectors. He said, Japanese inspectors working for a French guide that should be ostracized. <laughs> anyway. Just leave the rest he, um, he, uh, Yeah, I did, I did it. Um, a demo a con there was a congress called the the it was the listed as the top 10 chefs in the world so thomas keller pierre gagnier Alain Ducasse, myself there was fern adria uh arzak and donny from Muritz. <clears throat> and we, we we it was opened by the princess of uh, of japan and that oh I, that I can't remember his name the the the, the, the um, their prime minister who had that sort of elegant white hair remember longer white hair and and the head of kickerman soy sauce opened this it was a massive thing <clears throat> and the guy that made the movie giro taste of uh, dreams is zero giro not taste of sushi. dreams of sushi zero dreams of sushi the guy that made it is a um, uh, mr yamamoto and he brought the michelin guide to japan and he's a massive fat duck fan he's been coming for the last 15 years, <clears throat> at least once a year. And he took myself, Monica, who was doing my PR, Kyle, that, 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 that worked in Japan for two years, spoke Japanese, came and ran the development kitchen when I first set it up for me. And then he's got three stars. Um, one single thread, I think his restaurant's called, in California. He's got three stars now. And um, he, he was with me and Nicholas Lander, Nick Lander, who, who from the, the food critic, food writer for the FT, who's an old friend. And Yamamoto took us to, Jiro took us to the restaurant. And they've got like 12 seats around the bar and a couple of tables. It's in a shopping centre. So you have to go to use the public toilets. <laughs> uh, 
And he'd been making sushi for 54, 55 years when I went there. One of his hands was long, elongated and curved because of the movement of, of, of squeezing the rice so many times. Him and his, and his son and his grandson. And it was amazing. But we had 24 pieces of sushi. And he said, there's four of us. When, when he puts it down, he wants you to eat it. So you do one at a time. So by the time it comes back to you, as soon as it goes down, you eat the sushi. He noticed I was left-handed, so he put it on a different angle. I found it incredible. With the Japanese culture, the new, the, the, they, they zoom in. So the nuances between sakes is much more fine, smaller than the nuances between different wines, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, for all this reputation, in the end, Kyle, we asked, can Kyle do a stage there? So Kyle did two days in Jiro. And I had a great laugh and he had him serving sushi. He spoke because Carl spoke Japanese. He had him serving sushi on his first day. He let him serve sushi because, because he could see that the actual passion. And then, you know, they came, they came to the dark. His son came to the dark. We, 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 we had struck up a really great connection. Um, so this is before the movie came out. So I, so I think that in terms of to see somebody that has just spent their life focusing on one thing is incredible. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a great documentary if anyone's interested. Zero Dreams of Sushi. Wonderful. Well, for all the upcoming soggy days of summer, which we seem to be enduring constantly at the moment, this is a great list to begin with. But as we said, please do send in all your thoughts on the movies that we want to be watching, because, you know, by no means, I'm sure, is Heston being able to see them all just yet. So please ping over all your thoughts. But for this week, chaps, thank you for that little journey onto movie foods silver screen there's loads of things i'm gonna be trying out there um but for this week i'm afraid that's all we have time for so james thank you ever so much and heston until next week thank you hang on a second just mm. what is it i want to say what is the end of the, the all the cartoons bugs bunny cartoons what do they say that's all folks. That's all. oh yeah uh, in the words of bug in, in the words of bug bunny oh, in the words of bug bunny <laughs> you're right you're right <laughs> <I love. laughs> Well, he is a a bunny. He can't speak properly, so that's a good impersonation. That's all, folks. (laughs) 